That's me. I am now. <laughs> okay, good. All right, there we go. <laughs> Sorry, it's, it's good with a pop up that I've, I've not seen before. It wanted me to ask if I was okay with it recording. Not Are you okay with it recording? Uh, okay. I think so, yeah. Awesome, good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to another hour of Weird and Wonderful Science. My name is Ewan. My name is Ewan, and I'm here with Izzy, and we have a special guest this time. We have Professor Damien Hampshire, who is going to be talking to us about something really interesting nuclear fusion. <laughs> I've lost the brain there. Um, <laughs> it is really interesting. Professor <laughs> Hampshire, would you care to introduce yourself? Yeah, yes. I'm uh, Damien Hampshire. I'm a professor of physics at Durham University. And uh, let me see, I am, I'm very interested in high magnetic fields uh, produced using superconducting materials that we can do useful things with. So I guess most people know about MRI body scanners, but the other really big application is, is fusion energy. And we have known about fusion energy for a long time, but we're trying to make it commercial now. Can we produce electricity uh, using fusion energy? That's the, that's, we want to do things that are useful and beautiful. And the useful thing is produce energy. So what would the beautiful thing be? The beautiful thing is you would be amazed how beautifully superconductivity is put together that produces these high magnetic fields. It's a, it's a macroscopic quantum system. So if you can think about what happens at, on the scale of an atom where the whole system is described by quantum mechanics and the electrons sit in these very special quantum mechanical states, when you turn to superconductivity, this atom is now the size of several kilometers, and yet the, the super electrons still sit in quantum mechanical state. It's just unbelievably beautiful. Is that to do with Wittberg excitation? Or is that a separate thing? That's a separate thing, actually. But um, okay. there's also some very nice um, quantum mechanics that's going on in the department in that area to do with Bose-Einstein condensates and so there on. There is. There is, yeah. I was very fortunate to get to a look at the... Uh... The postgraduate labs before we broke up, and it was very interesting. Yeah, it's really, really good. Yeah, okay, yeah. They didn't understand yeah. much of it, but it was really, really interesting. You know, I think that Durham's on the the cutting edge of quantum mechanics, and yeah, it's really, really yeah, interesting, right. really good. So, I've got a few questions for you here. Okay. Um, the first one is a lot of very popular. In fact, no, let's let's start from the beginning. What would you say the main difference is between our current nuclear reactors that use fission, right? And these fusion reactors, what would be the main benefits that we get out of making the, the jump to fusion? Well, let's just be clear about the two technologies. One technology is using heavy elements. That's the current fission technology. And fusion uses the elements at the other end of the periodic table. We're using hydrogen isotopes at very high temperature to produce uh, heat and then electricity. And mm. one of the very important differences is that the waste products for fission are a concern for tens or hundreds of thousands of years, whereas the waste products for fusion are a concern for about a hundred years. So the fuel is, is readily available and the waste products last for much shorter periods of time. So that's, the, that's one of the big advantages of fusion over fission. Mm. You fusion mentioned is much more you... difficult. That's, that's part of the problem. Mentioning that you use isotopes of hydrogen, would you be able to just briefly explain what an isotope actually is? 
Mm, that's a good point, actually, yeah. Izzy, I'm going to ask you. You're part of this radio show as well, aren't you? <laughs> I, 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 I can give it no, a go. He's, he's, he's a first year, he's finished his first year as an undergraduate. How would you describe an isotope? An isotope. It has the same... Oh, no. <laughs> it's the same... <laughs> you know this is being recorded, don't you? I do, yeah. <laughs> <That's> just... <laughs> Come on, don't let the department oh, down. Fair. What's, yeah, what's an isotope? So, <laughs> is it the same number of protons but different number of neutrons exactly exactly Excellent. right right good because <laughs> i haven't heard the word isotope in my whole first year that's an a-level thing it's an a-level thing exactly you know we, we build on the foundation <laughs> so i'm afraid we, I that some time ago just doesn't you know, happen I'm sure. that could have ruined my career if i got that wrong. <laughs> laughed out of every nuclear internship in europe <laughs> thankfully I've saved myself so. you have and the department and your school <laughs> in fact the British education system has just got past that <laughs> <laughs> thank you Barrow Six Farm College for the very good <laughs> education <laughs> do you have any more questions for Izzy uh, <laughs> no not even mentioned it. no no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose one question would be why I'm inside this machine here. Um, I best explain. In fact, Damien, I believe you're in a better position than I to explain what this is behind me. Would you care to? Care to yeah. Um, basically, the way that um, we do fusion is we produce a plasma, a bit like the sun. It has to burn at uh, very high temperatures. In the case of the the tokamak or the the machine that you've got behind you, the, the plasma has to burn at about 100 million degrees. And it's this uh, combination of the parts of the hydrogen isotopes that fuse together. This is where it gets its name. And the shape of the plasma is like a donut. And mm. you can see the central column behind your, behind your head, actually. And then the plasma sits in the rest of, the, in the rest of that machine. Mm. And it produces all this heat. And we need to, huge amounts of heat. And we need to take this heat. And then after that, it's just a, a standard power station where we, well, at the moment, where we produce steam and produce electricity in the standard way. It's only the okay. machine behind you that's the really innovative step that we've got to get control of. I see. So it's almost like we're making an artificial sun to produce all this energy. Yeah, it's producing a sun or a star on planet Earth, which wow. is, um, yeah, I know it's, it's, um, <laughs> it's a real challenge, but the, the potential benefits are huge. You know, I mean, we're particularly aware of the mo at the moment of, uh, you know, global warming has been on the agenda from the from the UN, the IPCC for a long time now. Mm. And the scientific community is is, of course, convinced that global warming is a very serious existential threat that we need to do something about. Mm. But we're also reminded about security of supply that um, the fuels you need for fusion are all readily available to everyone. And that's also uh, an important issue as well. So this See, is right. obviously a really, really great technology, but why aren't we there yet? Why isn't this being the uh, standard? Where, where are we with that? Why is that not currently? It's a, it's a hugely yeah. difficult challenge to hold a star burning on planet Earth. 
it it can't be held with ordinary materials obviously at 100 million degrees it has to be held by high magnetic fields which is where superconductivity comes in and that's just not an easy thing to do it's the sort of challenge that a great country like the uk should take on hmm. we should definitely look and see whether we can make this a commercial technology but um the reason we haven't done it so far is because of just how demanding and challenging it is. Hmm. You said on the material to make a reactor out of. I remember, so for my EPQ, I did a lot of reading on thorium reactors, which are another interesting technology. I don't believe they'll ever see use in the UK, but they're still very interesting and lots. Um, and one of the main challenges there was because of the immense conditions inside the reactor, you know, 100 million degree plasma, you know, you need this new material. There was one research at Oak Ridge National Laboratory in the 1960s. I think it was called Hastelloy, something like that. But since then, no real progress has been made, to my knowledge. Do you have any thoughts on that materials challenge? Would you say that's a significant barrier there are to material overcome? Challenges in all in all sorts of areas of the tokamak. Hmm. In my area, that's the high field confinement area. It's hmm. uh, the use of the high temperature superconductors. They were discovered in the mid 80s. Won a Nobel Prize for the the people who discovered it. Um, it's taken about, I would say, 25 years to turn though, those materials into usable strands or tapes that we can mm. make magnets out of. So okay. there's a huge materials challenge there. But in addition, there are the sort of structural things that you're alluding to and uh, mm -hmm. the use of, uh, well, the Hasselois in the superconducting materials, but we also need very... Uh, uh, radiation resistant, high mm. temperature operating steels just to hold yeah. the forces associated with these uh, very large magnets. And then we need uh, materials that can deal with the very high temperatures, uh, which is also a materials challenge. So there are quite a few materials challenges in the different technological areas of, of uh, building a tokamak. But uh, we can't see any showstoppers. It's tight. We, we've understood fusion for quite a long time. Mm -hmm. It's about whether or not we can make it commercial. Can we overcome these materials issues? Can we bring together the right commercial, political, social will mm. to um, build a machine that's, you know, a very large investment? Oh, yeah. Mm. You know, it's, it's, um, it's difficult to build these civilian large projects to make them work and there's there's challenge not just materials challenges but challenges in all the different uh, areas that need to come together to make this happen mm. i see right for what you said it sounds like a real immense piece of technology it's like a god project you know you need to have the best of superconductors the best of magnet technology you need to have all of this to make it work and to make this hugely powerful artificial sun artificial star is this really something safe to do is it safe to make these stars um, yeah, that, I mean, that's a very good question about uh, about safety. Hmm. Um, I think one of the big, uh, one of the significant advantages of fusion over fission, as I've mentioned, is the is the fact that the waste products are a serious concern for about 100 years rather than 10 or 100,000 years. So that's uh, an important thing. It's also a non-proliferation technology. Yeah. Um, fusion is not the technology from which you could easily go and make uh, make weapons. And that's mm. also a consideration if you want a technology that you want to roll out. And uh, I mean, we're all hoping that the uh, nuclear weapons 
proliferation will be limited and maybe we can even roll back on the number of nuclear weapons in the world and using fusion as a technology doesn't impact on that it's uh, it's a completely different technology to weapons technology so would it help then with the general uh, I, I say general but it's, it's widely considered that any nuclear technology whenever you mention that people always think of the um, complete disasters that admittedly we've only had very few of and all the uh, nuclear weapons and things so is fusion one of the steps to accepting that it isn't as dangerous as it's made out to be obviously um it can be incredibly dangerous mm. um is this a step towards realizing it's, what it actually is it's a much safer technology if there's a problem in a, in a fusion power plant the amount of fuel in the plant is very small and if there's a problem the uh, plasma just goes out so it just right, turns okay. off, you know the 100 million degrees collapses and uh that's the that's the end of the plasma so it's uh if we can control it it's a much safer technology so where do you think that we are then currently and heading forward so how far do you think we've got to go before we have this commercial well there's been some very significant developments um in the uk at jet and in uh, some other countries including the united states and it's, you know, the, the imperative for fusion is much stronger now than it was even 10 years ago. So the sort of time frame that uh, the UK government is talking about is three, three phases or three tranches. One that finishes in about two years time, which is the end of the period where we, we think about a, um, proposing a design and then 2030 for the end of the design and 2040 for first plasma with a fusion power plant producing about 100 megawatts so we're talking wow. about, we're talking about you know less than 20 years now if you go to the the project spun out from MIT they're talking about a time frame that's significantly shorter than that so it's entirely um funded by private industry and entrepreneurs, people like Bill Gates. Um, and they have a very different time frame, uh, very different, shorter time frame. So that's the sort of time period that we're we're looking at. And you know, because we're looking for a return on investment in the UK, there's a certain, you know, sense in which we need to get on with it and be first and make it safe and useful and functioning and all the things that you expect from a commercial technology. I hear a joke in that yeah. nuclear fusion is always 20 years away. That yeah. It was but 20 years joke... away in the eighties and now it's 20 years away now. Yeah. No, in the eighties, now... the joke was it was 30 years away. <laughs> <laughs> now... And they were absolutely right. You know, in the eighties, we had this agreement between uh, Gorbachev and Reagan and they set up the ITER program, which is the program in the south of France. And it was set up as an international collaboration, a sort of uh, way to make sure, you know, that one of the very fabulous things about science is it brings people together from all over the world. And you realise how much we've got in common with the scientists from, you know, all uh, countries where we, we have political disagreements. And this sort of international collaboration is a really positive force, uh, not, 
of course for science, but I think more generally than that. And ETA was set up with that as one of its primary goals. And, and therefore, inevitably, it was set up in a way that's taken much longer than anyone would have liked. But everyone's collaborating. There are groups from you know, all over the world that are working on it. Hmm. Global warming wasn't really a big issue in the 80s. And so you know, the joke was fusion's 30 years away and uh, you know, has been for as long as one can remember. Hmm. What we're doing now isn't that sort of thing anymore. This is a step, for example, is a UK effort. Uh, the MIT project is a US funded project. Craft hmm. is a Chinese funded project. And all of these projects have got a very different sort of mission. It's a, there is a competition in some sense, hmm. and that's completely changed the dynamic. And okay. uh, yeah, the joke's changed. Fusion's just 20 years away now. <laughs> do you think that's realistic? Do you think we're going to do it? Is that a, you know, do you believe in it? We don't get funded if uh, we don't do it. The government uh, has got some very clear uh, tranches and timelines, hmm. and the people involved in the project have to be kept to those. Yeah. It really is the best down there. If we're not, the guys at MIT or the guys in China or the guys in in uh, various other projects around the world, will get the technology up and running before we do. So broadly, yes, I think uh, we have to. It's not a matter of believing in it. It's about we have to, because you can't invest 10 billion, which is what we, is sort of some we're talking about, to build a power plant. You can't invest that and not get a return on it. That's not what uh, this sort of project's about. It's not an experiment. It's about uh, building a new technology and getting a commercial return on the large investments that are made. I see, right. So the joke's kind of up then. Now it's a, now it's a hard line. <laughs> oh, come on, we're, pretty, we're British. We always have a joke somewhere in the discussion. <laughs> <laughs> now I have a question about this is this is entirely separate from what it starts about, but I think it's a very interesting thing. Yeah. There's some videos of nuclear reactors online. So they have the, the car inside of this big vat of water. And there's a very dramatic sound of going Woo, and turning on. And then the light coming from it's always blue. So why is it that the light coming out of it is always blue? I've heard the word Cherenkov light thrown around quite a lot. Yeah. This is why is this, this is fission actually. And if you go hmm. to um, Grenoble where they do some experiments using neutrons. Mm. You can go and see the Cherenkov radiation, and I would recommend it. Um, so I'll make a note of that. Yeah, you should, uh, you should go there and, and just have a look. Um, yeah, so it, it's part of the nature of a, of a highly, very fast-moving charges that uh, you can get this special kind of light. It's not there. It's not a well. It's 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 very well understood. Actually, it's all from Maxwell's equations, which um, you will find in the second year of your course as some of the most beautiful equations in physics. But I won't go there in this interview. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's one good thing about physics. The equations is well, the equations is that doesn't make sense. The equations are always quite beautiful. There's a very certain 
aesthetic to physics equations, really. Yeah. It's often the most aesthetic solution is the well, the closest to reality. Yeah, I mean, I, I went to a talk um, where a, um, an extremely senior scientist, let me just put it like that, gave a talk. And I can say <laughs> it was one of the worst talks I've ever been to. He started <laughs> of a blackboard and wrote equation after equation with very little commentary <laughs> for the entire 50 minutes. And he got to the end and said, as you can all see, this is so beautiful, it must be true. And of course, <laughs> we, all, we all agreed with him. It was, I mean, it was a truly shockingly awful talk. But um, there was something that we all had in common that, uh, that uh, the mathematics that he had written down was, was beautiful. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I think I've just about anonymized that sufficiently, so that's good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was going to say now's your chance to name and shame, but maybe don't do that. No, um, no, no. no. <laughs> um, and then what we were talking? Oh yeah, um, Maxwell's equations. Yeah, how the shrink of phenomena comes from Maxwell's equations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a standard. Uh, well, built into Maxwell's equations is relativity and. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, it's a standard analysis that if you have fast moving particles, you can end up with this beautiful blue light. Yeah. Okay. Be able to give a simplified explanation for our uh, listeners to sort of give an idea of why this works, or is that just? It's part? not really a fusion relevant. If we're going to stick to a fusion topic, that, that, that's true enough. Actually, yeah. Yeah. Kind of guideline is there for a second. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose could you please explain to us the um the mechanism of nuclear fusion, how it is that we, you know, these these light elements come together and make energy. Yeah, it's it's a it's a relatively straightforward thing where you just take these isotopes of of hydrogen and they collide together at such high speed that mm. they can overcome the repulsion okay. between the between the two nuclei. And they bond together to form a helium atom and a proton and a, and a neutron. Mm. And the helium, helium ion actually in the plasma and the neutron carry away a huge amount of, uh, they, they uh, move at a very high velocity. And that high velocity can essentially be converted into heat within the blanket. Mm. So you have to understand the electrostatic repulsion, which stops uh hydrogen isotopes from fusing under normal circumstances but because they're so hot because they're in this hundred this plasma burning at 100 million degrees they mm. can overcome the repulsion and actually bind together to make a new element i.e helium and neutrons and that's our job then we've got these 14 mev neutrons that are moving extremely fast and in slowing them down we generate heat and we use that heat to produce electricity. Mm. So that's that's the sort of core mechanism within the plasma itself. Okay. How do we how do we slow these neutrons down? How do we pick them out of the plasma and then slow them? Yeah, I mean it's it's a crude method actually. We we basically have a blanket material there, and uh, as the material as the neutron goes through the material, 
it collides with the atoms in that blanket material oh, okay. and just heats it up. And then there are a number of ways of extracting the heat from the blanket mm. material. So we, I mean, one of the one of the things we're all hoping for, of course, is that if we can build a machine that is close to being commercially viable, that in the process of doing that, we'll generate some more ideas and some better methods mm. to do things even more efficiently in, in the way that we've seen in many other areas of technology. So that, you know, if we think about the cost of electricity produced by wind, for example, um, that cost has come down in the period of time that we scaled up the manufacture and use of wind turbines. And we're hoping that the same will happen with fusion. I see, right, okay. So as we understand it better by working with it, we kind of make it more economically viable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're hoping that in the whole of the global warming effort, aren't we? Hmm. That as we move to electric cars, for example, they'll become cheaper. And that, uh, you know, by doing the smart things in terms of guardianship of the planet, that it may be more expensive at the beginning and there may be a hit associated with doing that, but we need to do it. And our experience has been in the past that as we develop new technologies, we can make them cheaper. Hmm. I've just got a message, by the way, saying we have 10 minutes left in the meeting. So okay. now's the uh, time if anything's immensely important to get that on Professor Hampshire while we're going. We should be able to briefly explain why we're using hydrogen and fusing that into helium rather than any of the other elements that we're able to uh, fuse together. It's shockingly, it's shockingly difficult to do this project with fusion. I mean, we, we as a, it's essential that we do it. But the hydrogen isotopes are considered to be the most cost-effective way of doing fusion. I mean, in some sense, that's the most straightforward or simple way. It's to do with the cross-sectional area of these isotopes. And you look at the cross-sectional area of the other isotopes and ask whether or not building a fusion machine using those may be, may be better. And the broad consensus is that using the uh, lithium deuterium isotopes, these are these hydrogen isotopes, is the is probably the fastest way to commercial fusion. That's very good. Um, and is there anything else? Do you, is, is there anything you'd like to say to the public regarding nuclear fusion? Because as you said earlier, accidents regarding nuclear power, they happen very rarely. It's a very safe technology overall. But when they happen, they happen. They're very, you know, tremendous isn't the right word. Terrible is what I'm looking for. They're yeah. terrible incidents. They stick in the mind of the public. You're Three Mile Island, you have um you know chernobyl you have all these nuclear incidents and they although they're and they stick so is there anything you'd say to kind of comfort the public anything you can provide that, that? Is a, that is a really good question because you know i i completely understand what you're saying that there are concerns about um nuclear power mm. and i need to give that a lot more thought because i mean it's clear that for my life, most of my lifetime, the idea that we have experts that can help us is, is has only recently been undermined that, uh, you know, we can't 
we have to be careful about what experts tell us. What There are very few silver linings in this bloody awful pandemic that we've all lived through. But one of the silver linings, I think, has been what an incredibly fabulous job those people who developed the vaccines have done. And how, you know, they have meant that we can open up and they have, you know, without any doubt, these experts have given us something of huge value. And we need to do the same in nuclear power. We need to make sure that we've got experts who can clearly articulate what they're doing, can, can uh, reassure people that the risks of there are risks with the vaccines, of course, and we should just be transparent and open about them. And I feel it's the same with uh, with fusion. This is another situation where we do have experts, and um, some of them only other experts can speak to. But we also need to bring through those experts that uh, have got that skill and that intelligence to talk to people outside of the field and do the sorts of things that we've done with the vaccines, where we say we acknowledge that there are risks, but that the benefits far outweigh the risks. So I think it's about good science and transparency and, uh, and prioritizing communication. But the same approach that some people do with these nuclear technologies would never get anything done by always looking at the negatives, especially when there's so many positives of it. I agree, yeah. You know, building that trust in the experts and, you know, being able to place that, that goodwill in them and in good science, believing in good science, you know, that's uh, definitely one of the main challenges going forward, aside from the, the structural and the technological challenges, I think. Yeah. Rebuilding that trust that has been lost by the nuclear incidents, that would be... I, I had a funny experience on the train recently. I was sat next to this nice lady. Um, and she's talking to oh, you know, I'm at university. Oh, what do you do, physics? Uh, oh, what do you want to do? Oh, I want to work on nuclear fusion reactors. So, like, oh, 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 yeah. What are your thoughts on nuclear weapons? I'm like, whoa. <laughs> it's, it, they can be applied like that. Like you said, nuclear fusion has the advantage of not being proliferable. Um, you can't exploit it to make a weapon. But that kind of, the nuclear sin side of it, that kind of, I've become deaf to the destroyer of worlds, that whole, you know, the violent side of nuclear power, apart from the, the loving side that gives us all the energy we need to make a bright future. You know, that violent side, it sticks. And I think kind of overcoming that will be one of the main challenges going forward. Overcoming yeah, that's that about good, it's about good communication. It's about education. You know, it's about track record. Mm. It's, it's, it's these sorts of things. And I think there's something for us all to learn from, as I say, from the, from the vaccine rollout roll out i think that that the vast majority of people of course there will always be a small minority where there are problems but the vast majority of people see the vaccine rollout as a huge success for us all and that's the sort of approach that we need for for fusion mm. you know there are there are a very small number of people who are affected by the who are legitimately concerned about vaccines but there are a very very small group of people and you know we just have to deal with uh, we just have to be transparent mm. about fusion energy and and make sure that you know we do the we we're smart 
yeah i agree that's uh thank you very much for uh, giving us your time there to talk a little bit about nuclear fusion. So thank you very much for listening, and don't forget that you can always catch us on a Friday at 3pm every other week. And if you want to hear more of us, you can catch us every Saturday at 1 until 2 on Candu FM for our science show on the radio. <laughs>